Thanks again, praise team. And great singing. You sang as if we had another 50 people in here that are, that are on the bike trip. You know, you did a great job. And uh, great to, to worship the Lord together. Amen? Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we dive into your word today, I pray that we would leave changed. Lord, you're, you're, we just sang that your name is beautiful, that the name of Jesus is beautiful, and it's beautiful because he is, as we sang, he is our king. So Lord, I pray that you would reign over us today as we look into your word. May we submit ourselves to what it says, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever done something wrong that your heart kind of tormented you about? You knew it was wrong, and you did it, and then you got away with it? And then you thought, oh, this wasn't so bad. The, the consequences weren't so bad that you continued to do it. And, and then all of a sudden you realize I'm, you're doing this as a pattern and it becomes part of your life. Feeling like, boy, I've just totally gotten away with this. I, I think if we're honest, we've probably all been there at some point. Where something that we just continue to do because we, we, we haven't gotten caught. And we don't think that we're ever going to get caught uh, with it. In fact, I, I have a friend who was a, he was a believer. In fact, a deacon in his church. And uh, when his, I forgot if it was his, his mom or his mother-in-law, but one of them had gotten sick. And, and so as a family, they decided to take care of her. And in her last days, they weren't able to, uh, or she wasn't unable to go to the bank and so on. So, so she put his name on all of her information, all of the stuff. And then when she did pass away, she continued to receive Social Security checks. And he did the right thing. He, he, he let the government know that... These checks aren't supposed to come to me. She's passed away. And he went through all of that. But competency isn't always the government's top character trait, right? And so they continued to send these things. And so after a while, and he was getting sick of sending them back every time. So he just decided, I'm going to open up an account, and I'm just going to put it in an account, and I'm not going to touch that account. You know, I'm just going to you know, put, you know, put it in a separate site. And then so when they come looking for it, there it will be. And uh, this went on, and he, keep, he kept writing letters every time. You're not supposed to send this, and when you want it, I'll give it back. And, 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 they, and they just kept sending them. And, and so by the time, you know, some, some time had passed, he had about $20,000 in, in this bank account. And there's something in his mind that said, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm tired of writing these letters. I'm just going to leave it in there. And, and then a, an offer came up where he could afford the payments for a, a cottage up north if he had a down payment. And so then he took that money and he used it as a down payment. Guess when the government decided to be competent, right? And the, the government uh, came back, they, they audited him, and all, all this time that he was accumulating that money, the day came where he had to pay. He had to pay, he had to pay it back, he had to pay it back with interest, he, had, he lost his job and, uh, uh, because of it, and actually had to do a little bit of time for it. And he repented, turned, you know, continu- he continues to serve the Lord in, in, his, in his own capacity to this day. But what happened is what happens to a lot of us in a lot of ways is this idea that, that well, if I get away with it, then it's, it's not as hard to do the next time. And we get to a point we, where we become comfortable in our sin. And, and if I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you have, have let this happen to you? You're, most of you probably wouldn't put your hands up. And that could be because you either haven't done it or because you're comfortable in those sins and it doesn't even come to your mind, right? That's the nature of sin. It's deceitful. And that's why we, we're talking about deception. So here we are in, in, uh, in 2 Peter. If you want to turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, we'll be in verses 4 through 11 today. 
And we've been talking about what it means to be established in the truth. We have seen the folly of following any man-made religious beliefs. We've seen the folly of that. They're nothing but cleverly devised fables, Peter tells us. But we've also found that the source of truth for us, if we're going to be established in the truth, the source of truth must be in the one true God and in his son Jesus Christ, whom we just sang about, and in his scriptures interpreted as they were written. We can't have our own private interpretation, uh, we learned. And then last week, we learned that false teachers are going to infiltrate the church and many so-called Christians are going to follow the destructive doctrines. And Peter reminded us last week that those who follow and those who propagate such doctrines are going to receive their just judgment. So this week, we're going to dive deeper into what those consequences are. And so I've entitled it uh, this week's Doom or Deliverance. A lot of Ds. Last week, destructive doctrines. This week, we're looking at doom or deliverance. And we see that these are really the only two options uh, that we have. So with that said, let's dive into 2 Peter chapter 2. Verses 4 through 11. We'll read the, the whole text first, and then we'll come back and, uh, and, and get a closer view of it. So starting verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who would afterward live ungodly. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord." Wow, there's a lot here in these, in these eight verses. It's, interestingly enough, there's only two sentences in these eight verses. Uh, the, the first sentence starts in verse 4 and goes all the way through, through, uh, through, through verse 10, right in the middle of the verse. So from 4, a, uh, from 4 to 10a is one sentence, and then you have another short sentence that covers the second half of 10 and verse 11. But when you look at verses uh, 4 through 10a, it's one large conditional sentence. If, then... And so if this is true, then that's going to be true. So it's important to understand the grammatical structure of this because when you have a long sentence, it's easy to get lost in it, right? But he's saying if these things are true, and if, and he lists three conditions, if these three things are true, then this, then this last thing is going to be true as well. Uh, a couple things to note too, um, and I hate to get too deep into this, but in, in the Greek language... There's a way to tell if, when you say if something is true, there's a way to tell if what you're about to say is, is confirmed, it's, it's true, or if it's just a possibility. And so, um, and for those who speak Spanish, it's like a subjunctive case, right? So if it's in subjunctive, that means it's going to be, uh, it's a possibility. And then you write, write it indicative, that means it's, it's happening. What that, all that to say 
is that some of your translations might say since instead of if. Those are perfectly good translations. Because it's saying, if these things are true, but it says it in a, in a, a way that it's very clear in the original language. It's saying, these things did happen. These things are true. Does that make sense? So if these things happen, then something else is going to happen. And that's what we're going to dive into today. What we find, though, there are three conditions. If this, if that, and if that. There are three conditions. Each one of them, by the way, reveals for us one of our three greatest enemies from staying on the path of truth. We find that there are three great enemies to staying on the path of truth. All of them receiving their just punishment. And that's what we're going to see today. So, um, so that's, that's uh, what we'll look at first. This is really the, the half of the message that's on doom right here. We're going to look at our three greatest enemies and, the, and what, what they receive. So let's go back to verse 4 and look at this a little bit closer. Verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment... So this first condition is he's talking about the angels who sinned. Talk about the angels who have sinned. What this is talking about is is what we read about in Revelations, but actually took place even before Satan showed up in the Garden of Eden. And we have where where Satan took a third of the angels in heaven with him, right? In Revelations twelve, if you want to keep a finger here in in Second Peter. Uh, in Revelation 12, verses 3 through 9, we read about this. John is receiving a revelation, and, he's, and God is explaining what had happened to him in a vision. And he says this, and another, uh, and another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. You see what he's getting at? You see what the vision represents? And Jesus, as he was being born, and so he's saying that, that, that this great fiery red dragon, it will name him in a moment, this great fiery red dragon was just waiting for this, this child to be born with a plan to kill that child. And so he said that Satan was behind the actions of Herod when Herod was attempting to kill all of the babies in the area to make sure that Jesus Christ did not survive. It goes on in verse 5. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where, uh, where uh, she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. We could talk about that when we... That there's, a lot, there's a lot of good stuff in Revelation, right? We'll talk about that at some point. Verse 7. And a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. That's important. He was cast into the earth... And his angels were cast out with him. This is what he's talking about. Satan took a third of the angels with him and they, they followed him. They followed Satan um, in his rebellion against God. I, I, and, and you see this, this fold out in, in, the, in the story of, of mankind too. Satan rebelled and um, the angels followed. So that leads us to our first of, greatest en- of, of our greatest enemies when it comes to staying on the path of truth our first and great enemy 
is Satan himself. Uh, Satan himself. He rebelled against God, and the angels followed. Uh, the angels followed him. A couple of things that's important to note here in the verse where it says, but cast them down to hell. The word for hell here is the word that's only used here once in the Bible. This is the only time this word is used in the Bible. Normally when it's talking about hell, it uses the word Gehenna, which is, uh, which is the word that they use for their incinerating, the, the place of incineration where they burn their garbage, right? The, the Gehenna. Um, and then you also have the word Hades, uh, which is a, a place of paying for um, in, in punishment and retribution. And then this is Tartarus. Uh, the word, you know, it comes from the Greek mythology. This is, um, this is their way of expressing just torment. It's just a, it, mean, it just literally means a place of torment. And I say this because it's important for us to remember that the demons that were, are talked about in this passage are alive and active, and they're on earth. Does that make sense? Now, what does it say? It says they are reserved for judgment. But where are they? They're active. They're, they're seeking. Satan, what does he do to this day? He deceives. And we see Satan deceiving all through scriptures. We don't just see it in Genesis 3 when he's deceiving Adam and Eve. And then, then that's the end of it. We see Satan pop, uh, pop up all through scripture. Do we not? In fact, if, if in First, Chron- uh, First Chronicles 21.1, Satan deceived David into numbering his troops. Remember, God said, don't trust in numbers, so don't even number your troops. And Satan said, you better number your troops. You're going against some big enemies. And, and he numbered his troops. It was Satan who did that. <clears throat> in Matthew 4, do you remember who Satan tried to, to deceive and failed? Jesus himself. He, and he, he threw out every best trick in the book. And, of course, Jesus passed with flying colors, right? In, in Luke 22, we read that it was Satan that deceived Ju- Judas, and he begged to enter into Peter, and Jesus would not let him. In Acts 5, we read that Satan is the one who deceived Ananias and Sapphira. Remember when they lied to the church, and they brought their gifts to the church, which is not a bad thing, but they lied about it and said that they gave it all when they hadn't given it all. And it was, it was the, the lie. It wasn't the amount of the gift that was the problem. It was the lie. It was Satan that deceived them into lying. In 1 Corinthians 7, we're told not to let Satan deceive us. In 2 Corinthians 2, 11, it says that Satan looks for those who are ignorant, and he takes advantage of their ignorance. And, and so the, the point is, Satan is alive and well today, and oftentimes I think his, his strategy in the United States, or in the West, is to convince us that he doesn't exist, and many, even Christians, have started to believe that. I mean, it, it, but the reality is, we have an adversary he, he, he comes up with he, strategies to deceive us, and he implements those strategies because he does not want us to believe the truth. And he's very real. Which is why Peter reminds us in the, in the, in, uh, the previous uh, letter that he wrote, he reminds us of this. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I hope you understand that, that, that there is a real Satan and he is looking for ways to consume you, to devour you, to stop you from enjoying all the things that God wants for you in your relationship with him. He wants to get you tangled up in sin and selfishness. And so that is the first of our great enemies. But what does Peter say? Did those angels who followed Satan... 
Did they receive their punishment? Yes, they did. They were cast out of heaven, and now they are reserved for judgment. Well, we find the second one in, in uh, verse 5. Let's uh, continue to read in verse 5, 2 Peter 2, 5. And, and this is a continuation of the if, so, and if God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of, on the world of the ungodly. So our second great enemy is the world. And what we mean by that is not the planet that we're on, but we're talking about the world and its systems. Uh, the world and its cultures uh, are designed to, to, uh, to take us and lead us in the wrong direction. When you look at the, the example that's given here, it's in the world of Noah. And, and this is what we read about Noah. This is uh, what we read in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Boy, there are a couple strong words in that statement, right? First of all, the wickedness of man was great in all the earth, and that every intent, every, that means every intention of his heart was wrong. It goes on to say, only evil, every intent was only evil, and that's not up. It was only evil continually. And you get this idea that you have an entire world where everybody is moving in the wrong direction. Everyone is influencing each other towards evil, right? And that's the world that Noah lived in. It sounds a lot like the world we live in sometimes, doesn't it? And, uh, and, and so we, we, we see this, this world. And no one could use the excuse and say, well, I was only doing it because everybody was doing it. If you could ever use the excuse... Well, everybody was doing it, then that was the time to use it, was in Noah's day, right? Because everybody was always thinking of, with evil intents on their heart all the time. But can you use that excuse? Well, everybody was doing it, so I just kind of followed the crowd. Did God let people who just followed the crowd, followed the world, did he let them off the hook? No, what do we find? What do we read happen? And you follow the rest of the chapters. Read chapter 7. Read chapter 8. Uh, what you're going to find is that God destroyed the entire world with a flood. Did God turn a blind eye to the world's sin? No, he did not. He destroyed the earth. He, he, did, he destroyed it. He, did, he saved Noah. Saved the species that way. But he, he destroyed the earth. He drastically redu- reduced our lifespan Decreasing how fast we can get ourselves into trouble, right? So we quit living for upwards to 1,000 years. We're now upwards to 100, 120 years. Uh, and he, he also made us start over. I mean, it was start from scratch. All the technology that, that they must have had at that, at that point, you start over because Noah gets off of the ark and they're back to sticks and stones, right? And, and God said, I'm, I'm sorry, we're wiping it out. We're going to start over. We're going to reduce man's life lifespan. And God did not let them off the hook. Here we continue to read, and we'll find our third great enemy as well in verses 6 through 8. And this is what we read. Oh, I forgot to read verse, uh, verses 6 through 8. Sorry, I was, re- I was getting so excited about verse 5. <laughs> but uh, in Genesis uh, uh, 6, it goes on to say, The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Wow. 
No excuses for the sinful, sinfulness of the culture. No one can say, well, everyone was doing it. But I think we, we do in our culture, too, where some of the things that we may have considered horrible 20 years ago, 30 years ago, has now become the norm. Have you noticed that? Things that, that, that we never would have put our stamp of approval on. But now, over time, that doesn't seem so bad because there's so much that you see on TV and so much that's in the movies and so much you see on, uh, all around us that we start moving with the world and we don't even recognize it. And we, we tend to follow the world. In fact, I, uh, I went to an Amish town once and took a tour and, uh, of, of a little Amish town. And, and the tour guide said something very interesting to me, uh, or to our group. He said, there's three kinds of separatists in the world. He says, first, there's the Amish who believe that in order to, to not follow the world, in order, in order to, 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 uh, uh, to not fall into a sinful path, they had to freeze culture. They totally froze culture. So they don't allow any new technology, any, anything like that. So that's level one. The second kind of separatism, he said, is, is uh, what we call Mennonite separatism. He said, they believe the exact same thing, they just started later. Right? So they allowed certain things. I'm not saying it's true. This was just his perspective. And then the third one caught me. He says, then there's Baptists. This is what he said. He says, Baptists think it's okay to move with culture as long as you stay 10 years behind them. <laughs> Some keen insights to that. But what happens is when we let culture be our guide, we say, oh, we don't want to be like the culture, so we, you know, because we're Baptists, right? So we step back, and then they move that way, and then we move with them. And we move with them. Next thing we know, we're part of the culture that we condemned 10 years ago. And that's why we can't let the culture be our guide. Culture can do some things that is right. Culture can do things that are wrong. We see the culture swing. We, we see the, the culture swing in the good direction at times. Like when slavery was abolished, that was a good thing, right? We see, but we can't, let that, we can't let that be our guide. Because culture is like a boat drifting at sea, right? We need an anchor. And that's what we have in God's word. We have the anchor. And so... The world, the world is, it, it can pull us away from our anchor, and we have to be very careful not to do that. Let's go on and uh, look at verse uh, 6 of, uh, of Second Peter chapter 2, and we see the third condition, which introduces us to the third enemy of staying on the path of truth. And if God, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. All right, here we see, we, we see about the, 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 the situation that was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. To remind, to remind you what was going on, Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, Abraham and God had a conversation about uh, whether or not the, the, the cities were worth saving. And God, if there's so many righteous people, well, what if the number's less? What if the number's less? What if the number's less? And, and the number keeps getting down. And, uh, and so God's going to destroy it. God sends two angels... Into the, in, into the city, and uh, they end up at Lot's house, who is the only righteous man. By the way, when we read the story about righteous, uh, about Lot, the righteous man, does he seem very righteous to you by our standards? I mean, I don't think so. But yet, 
for him, he, he was tormented in his soul to see the wickedness around him. And yet we see that even him and his situation, he was allowing influences of the world into his life as well. And, and God set the bar very low in a sense, saying, I'm willing to work with, I'm willing to work with him because at least he, he's tormented by the sin. Whereas the rest of the people, they weren't tormented by their sin. They loved their sin. They loved it. And, and, and they wanted more of it. And so this is what we read about in Genesis 19 with the Sodom and, and Gomorrah. But, but what were they following? What were the people of Sodom and, and Gomorrah guilty of? And so I, I, I want to be careful because I know there are people of a variety of ages in here. So I'll be very careful. But, but let's look at, at Genesis chapter 19. I'm just going to read verses 4 and 5. This is after the angels visited Lot. And then they said they were going to leave because this is a bad neighborhood, right? And Lot begs them to stay and they say they are willing to stay. This is what we read in verses 4 and 5. It says, Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, and all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. And, and if you're old enough to understand what, what we're talking about here, then, then that's as much detail as I need to go into, I think, for that. But when you, when you read this, you, say, you, ha- you can't help but say, wow. I mean, carnally, what, what are they talking about here? Um, um, in fact, those who speak Spanish, we have some, several Spanish-speaking people, you see the, the root of that word is carne, right? What does that mean? Meat, flesh. So we want to know them in, the, in a flesh, fleshly way. So our third, and great, our third of our greatest enemies is our own flesh. Our own flesh takes us in the wrong direction direction. Here's what the, the people in Sodom were guilty of, right? This is what we see in this. They took a great gift that God had given to us. They took something that is beautiful in its context, in its God-given context, and they turned it into a meaningless, selfless, physical pleasure, nothing else, totally going against God's design. You'll notice in those verses that we just read, age, age doesn't matter. Young, old, doesn't matter. No, there's no force. Gender didn't matter. You know, these were men. By the way, the picture shows the men with wings. And that's just a, 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 an artist concept. That there's nothing in scripture that said the men were, you know, white Europeans with wings. So that's not what angels look like, right? But whatever, you know, however they appeared, they appeared as men. And so the men of the city came together. So even gender didn't, didn't matter. But God designed the male for the female. Doesn't matter. Forget God's design. It's all about a selfish pleasure that, that they want to take. Intimacy doesn't matter. You know, when God designed sex, it was designed for, for a man and a woman as, as they grow in their relationship and they grow in their intimacy with each other. This is an expression of, of intimacy and an expression of commitment. Where you say, you know, you say, I am totally committed to you. And I am going to express something to you that I will not express to anyone else. Which is why we say it's, it should be sealed by a vow of exclusivity or marriage. This is what, that's the biblical model. But here, is intimacy even a concern? No, they don't care who they are. They're people. They want to have their physical pleasure. Right? They don't care about commitment. There's no commitment. They're not looking to, to marry these people. They're just saying, let us have, have them for the night. Right? That's it. This is following 
our flesh. You might remember when we did our study in Romans chapter 1 that we talked about how God's design for sex was for it to be moral and natural. It's, it is natural. The attraction is natural. It's moral and natural. But remember that as we saw the path of where depravity leads us. It moves from there to natural but immoral. I mean, if you follow your fleshly nature, you can still do immoral things, uh, such as, as, um, as engaging yourself in sexual activity without the vow, right? Or engaging in sexual activity, breaking the vow. So fornication and adultery would fit into this. It's natural. It's following your natural desires, but it's immoral. It's wrong. And then it says that once people engage in that, where do they go? They move from there down to immoral and unnatural. So they get to the point where the natural things don't please them anymore. So they, they, they try unnatural things. Um, and then it goes from there. that It says that they will go on to all sorts of acts of depravity from there would be the next level. By the way, I read a statistic this week. Did you know that 51% of all rape victims, let's just think it, 51% of all rape victims in America today are male. I mean, let that sink in. 51, means more men are being raped by men than women. And and I don't downplay a man raping women. It's a horrible, horrible thing. It, It is disgusting, it is wrong. Uh, because it takes God's beautiful gift and it perverts it. It turns it into something that's evil and dirty and yucky. Does that make sense? And that's what the world does. And, 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 and it, it becomes a horrible, horrible thing. Now, you might not be that far down the path, but I will tell you this. If you are following your flesh, if that's the direction you're going, then you're on that path. And you may think, oh, I'll never go. I'll never go down that far down the path. You might, because you're on that path. So unless you do something, unless God does something, turns you around, when you just say, I'm going to follow my flesh, I'm going to do this because this is what my flesh wants, then you're going down a wrong path. By the way, this is true of all sin, not just sexual sin. Isn't that true? All sexual sin. When we follow our flesh, we get ourselves into trouble. Greed, right? we, We may be greedy for something. Greed can turn into murder, Right? In fact, what murders have no greed involved. Uh, gossip can turn into slander. Uh, snacking might turn into gluttony. Uh, if, if we follow our, our natures, uh, vanity can lead you to become a Kardashian. Or, I don't know. Um, you know, selfish ambition can lead you to become a corrupt politician. I, the, the point, sin by nature, is, if, when, is it, it appeals to us through our flesh. When our flesh says, I'm going to do this, we do that, what happens? Then it becomes a little bit easier to take the next step, a little bit easier to take the next step, and the next step. And then we, oh, I would never go over there. But we only see what, the steps we're taking, and the next thing you know, we're over there. And, and this is the nature of, of our flesh. And, and we could say, well, well if, if we're just following our flesh, you know, that, that can't be so bad, right? There's, there can't be punishment for that. But here's what we find when we put these all together. When we look at that, we have our three enemies of, of, of the, staying on the path of truth. But all of them, all of them received their just punishment. That's what the if-then is all about. He's saying, if they receive their punishments, then what's that mean for you? And all of them receive their, their just punishments when you look at it. I mean, Satan received, what? The chains of darkness. It says he's reserved to, uh, to condemnation. Reserved for condemnation. Uh, the, the world, and it was destroyed by flood, right? By the way, 
The world will never be destroyed by flood again, but will it be destroyed again? Yes, it will. In fact, um, and we'll get to this. I don't want to spend too much time on this because we'll get, we'll, we'll get to this when we're in chapter 3. But Peter tells us a little bit later. He says, For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. In other words, the, uh, the whole universe is being held together by God's word. It says, By which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. So what's he talking about? The days of Noah. goes on to say, verse 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In other words, judgment's coming. Right? The, the, the doom is coming. And, and we read that. So we see that the, the Satan, uh, those who followed Satan, they were punished. Those who followed the world, they were destroyed. Those who followed the flesh, what does it say? They were turned into ashes. That's what we just read. They were turned into ashes. And you know the story of God destroying the cities of Sodom and, and Gomorrah. They were turned, turned to ashes. So when you look at the sentence as it is, if then, if uh, God punished Satan and those who followed, if God punished the world and those who followed the world, if God punished the, the flesh, then what? Th- then that's where we get to, the, to uh, verse 9. So here we are at the, what's, what we find out. This is the conclusion. This is the meat of the, of the text today. Verse 9, we read this. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. What is God saying? I've got two options. And the Lord knows how to make sure they happen and that they happen justly. You've got doom. Or deliverance, right? These are the two options. And he's saying, it, it, for, for those who are godly, in spite of, of Satan's attacks, in spite of the world trying to convince them and, 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 and dirty them, and, and in spite of the flesh that draws us in a wrong direction, there are some who, who, who go against the flow. And he says, I will make sure that they receive what? Deliverance. God knows how to do that. God's good at that. Uh, but he also says... And don't worry, those who are ungodly, those who are unjust, what does it say? They're going to receive their just condemnation. They're going to receive the punishments for what they do. And oftentimes, we feel like because we're getting away with something now, that there's no future punishment coming. And it's not the way reality is. Not with God. It can be that way sometimes with human authorities, because sometimes human authorities will never catch you. Right? There, are, there, are, there are things you can get away with and no human authority is going to catch you. But in reality, we're always caught in our sin. Be sure your sins will what? Find you out. God sees it all. God knows uh, what's going on. He will see it all. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. Uh, great, great book. When it comes down to the, the meaning of life and, and, and in the last verse of that text it says of of Ecclesiastes we read for God will bring every work into judgment including every secret thing whether good or evil in other words the things you're getting away with you're not getting away with them God will bring every deed to its just conclusion whether that's doom or deliverance wow that's a strong statement he sees the good he sees the evil and he promises 
doom or deliverance. He goes on in, in verse, te- uh, verse 10. I'll just read the first half. It says, And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. You know what? This, this word especially there is a key word because uh, there's this doctrine, a, a false teaching that I think we, we sometimes hear even as children and, and, and we grow up in church and we hear this doctrine that all sins are equal. Right? Have you heard that before? But then here he says, but especially, how can he say especially if they're all equal, right? Um, And if I were to tell my kids, I love you all the same, but especially, then they say, wait a minute, you just contradicted yourself. You can't say that you love me the same if you especially love that one. It doesn't make sense. These are especially, uh, especially, now by the way, all sin is equal in the sense that one sin is all it takes for us to be sinners. Amen? We are condemnable for one, any sin. That's good to know because some people think they're pretty good. They avoid the bad sins. Mm-mm, doesn't work that way. Any sin. In fact, the moment you say you're sinless, you just lie. Right? And, and it's, you've got pride. Was right would be there uh, as well. You, you, what I'm saying is, is that there are, there are sins that carry deeper consequences even though all sin is evil. Does that make sense? So don't, so I see a lot of looks like, hmm, I've never heard that before. Um, but I'll tell you, this is especially, we see especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. You know, when I first read this, I thought, boy, you almost expected Peter to bring up the lust of uncleanness. I mean, after talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and stuff, and, and the time of Noah, but then despise authority. That seemed almost a little out of place. And, and then I looked at it a little closer and I realized, no, that is in place. That is exactly where, where, uh, where it needs to be. In fact, what was Satan's fault? I mean, you're talking about Satan who, who was trying to deceive the world. What was his fault? Yeah. It was pride, and it shows up in his ability to, or his desire to usurp the authorities that God has put into his life. In fact, remember in Isaiah 14, it's talking about him. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. It was on verse 13. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That's a term only used to refer to God Almighty. I'll be like Him. I'll be like Him. Of course, in verse 15, we read this. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. By the way, all believers are said in Scripture to go, all unbelievers, go to the pit. There are verses where the demons, it talks about going to the lower, the lower realms of the pit. And Satan is reserved for the lowest depths of the pit. What all that means, I don't know. I do know I don't want to be there. Right? And I do know that I don't want to follow someone who's going there. Does that make sense? If, you, if, so, if, if you're... If you're if you know that a person is going in the wrong direction, then you don't want to follow them. Reminds me of the time uh, my dad was driving uh, down the highway. We were crossing the, the, crossing the U.S., actually, as kids. We were 
and we're driving down this highway, and uh, there's this long string of cars in a funeral procession, and so my dad was passing them on the left, and then all of a sudden we lost the lane, and so he had to merge in. So immediately he thought, well, I mean, I got to get out of this procession. I don't, you know, I'm not going where they're going. So, so he took the very first exit, and unfortunately, so did the car behind him, and the car behind him, and the car behind him. Right. Why? One, one person, if you're following the wrong person, it's going to take you off the path. And here we see Satan is moving in a direction. We don't want to go there. The world is moving in a direction. We don't want to follow that, them either. And our flesh is even going to take us in a direction that is wrong. We don't want to follow that either. Um, and, uh, and yet, we do. We hate authority. We, we hate authority. Um, and so how does Satan... Satan is going to the lowest depths of Sheol. And he wants to bring you with him. And how does he do it? He convinces you to follow any of those. Follow your fleshly lusts, your self-interests. And he convinces you that you need no higher authority. Just follow yourself. That is satanic. This desire that we have... Uh, to, uh, to usurp the authority of the, the authorities that God's put in our lives. He goes on and he talks about this. This is where the, uh, the second sentence comes in. Everything to this point has been the first sentence. Here's the second sentence. It's much shorter. It says, They are presumptuous, self-willed. Um, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Even the angels and the demons know better. They don't talk bad about, about the dignitaries. By the way, the word dignitaries, what does that mean? It just means someone who is, who is given delegated authority. And so God has given authority to various institutions all through Scripture. Uh, here, here's a few. Uh, to husbands in Genesis 3. Governments, Genesis 2. The law in Exodus 20, which includes uh, parents and priests. Uh, prophets in Deuteronomy 18 tells you that he's going to give prophets and how to know which ones are real, which ones are not. Gives the limits of what, what their authority is. And those prophets predicted that his son, so his son is a dignitary. His son then passes on that information and that ability in a limited way to the apostles in Acts chapter 1. Uh, and in the, the apostles, they wrote of, of submitting to local authorities in Romans 12. Uh, Colossians 3 adds that our bosses, that we have to submit to our bosses. 1 Timothy 3 says the scriptures. 1 Timothy 5 says the pastors. And you look at all the... God puts various authorities in our lives. And, and, and sometimes our natural response is say, you know, you know not my pastor, right? Or, or not my president. We've heard that one lately. By the way, I've heard that, it seems like, every four years, right? Um, why? Because we hear this kind of stuff and we say, I don't, I don't want someone else telling me what to do. And, and the Bible, Peter is telling us right now, that is a satanic desire, and it's going to get you off the truth. Now, that doesn't mean that all the leaders are good. That the, those leaders will be held accountable, because we see no, in Noah's day, the leaders were bad, right? They'll get, their, they'll, they'll get what they deserve. But for us, what has he called us to do? He's called us to live by the authorities that he's given to us. Bottom line is... We rebel against our authorities because we follow the ways of Satan, the world, and our own flesh. Uh, We say, I will not be ruled. And that's why Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. And that's why we feel so free to 
to rebel against the dignitaries that God has placed in our lives. And the angels who know better wouldn't even dare do that. And so many of you might be thinking at this point, you know, my punishment can't be too bad. I mean, I look around me and there are a lot of people worse off than me. If that's you today, you're, you are deceived. You are deceived. And if you look back, you see this poster right there. It says, deceived. How many of you never saw that until just now? Right there. See that big poster right there? Deceived. If you're in the balcony, you've never seen it. It's right there. Deceived. That's what the study of Second Peter is really all about. Deception. And if you thought you were deceived, then you wouldn't, it wouldn't be deception. But we are, we are oftentimes deceived. Here, here's the truth. The truth is, doom is what is waiting for us. This is the, this is the, the default path that we take. The default destination is doom. Uh, this is what we, we deserve, and it is coming. I hate to sound like Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. You've heard that message or read the message. But in reality, what are we? We are sinners in the hands of an angry God. And that is, that is reality. That's the doom. And, and I hate to scare people, but I tell you, if you need to be scared, it's okay to be scared if it changes your actions, if it changes your state. And, I, and I'll tell you, there's an opportunity for this because in the midst of all of this doom, all of this doom that we just read about, whether it's, it's the angels who followed Satan, whether it's the world who, uh, uh, who in the days of Noah, or whether it's the Sodom and Gomorrah as they followed their flesh, that's a lot of doom. But in the midst of this, we also see a lot of deliverance, do we not? We also see a lot of deliverance. Uh, what do we find? We find God saved Noah. God saved Noah. What does it say? It says, and, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. He punished the ungodly, but he saved Noah. He, he saved Noah. It says, and, uh, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What did we, what did we read in verses 7 and 8? We, we read that God delivered Lot. God delivered Lot. It says, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Here we have a, a man who, who was surrounded by wickedness at a, at a, a high degree of wickedness. And, and he didn't even know how to act sometimes in, in all of this. But yet, he was, he was petrified by, by the acts of them. He begged the people not to do what they wanted to do with the visitors. And, and he was oppressed by those. It goes on to say, For the righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. By the way, lawless is another way of saying that, that we reject authority. Lawless means whatever laws there are above me, I will not listen to those. And that's what we see in, in Sodom and Gomorrah as well. Doom or deliverance. God saved Noah. God delivered Lot, and then we read that God knows how to deliver you. God can deliver you as well. Uh, and, and the Lord knows how to deliver the godly, it says. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly. And so if you're willing to, to, to reject Satan, if you're willing to reject the world, and you're really willing to reject the flesh, then, then, then you can follow God, and God will, make, God will deliver you. And we don't always know what that means, uh, you know, if it's going to be delivered from, thing, but, uh, from the, the circumstances, but we read, deliver us from the temptations and from the consequences of, of, of sin. Sure, we suffer consequences of, of other people's sins, you know? You, sure, we live in, in a world that's full of sin, and we're going to suffer some of those consequences. You know, if you leave your bike outside, what's going to happen? It's going to get stolen, right? Because of someone else's godlessness. Yes, 
But God can deliver you. And for those who accept that deliverance, we have the ultimate deliverance. We have an eternity in heaven waiting for us. And by the way, before you think, boy, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could reject Satan. If I could reject the world, if I could reject my flesh and be good enough to earn that. You can't earn it. It's a gift. We accept it. And that God, and, and we have to understand, it's not get your life in order so that you can come to Christ. It's come, come to Christ so that he can put your life in order. Does that make sense? And as you start to submit to the authorities that God's put into your life and you submit to his word, it's going to change everything. And you'll become the righteous person, not because of your own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ who died on the cross being imputed to you. And you'll be righteous in God's eyes and God will deliver you. And that's the promise that we have. A couple of applications for us today as we look at um, some applications. Number one, be vigilant. And watch out for Satan's traps. Satan is going to dress up arguments in, in, in your mind to make, to make falsehoods sound so true. Be vigilant. Watch for that. Don't fall for that at all. Be careful. Filter what you hear through God's word. Number two, don't follow the world and think that you're getting away with it. You know, there's a lot of times God is just patient with his punishments, giving us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent. And he's just waiting for us to repent because he loves us and, he, and he, he's there to offer repentance or forgiveness for us if we're willing to repent. And yet we continue on our sins because we think, well, I gotta, I've been getting away with it. It must not be that bad. Don't think that you can follow the world and get away with it. God watches everything He's got it all in mind. He knows it all. Number three, don't be mastered by your flesh. Learn to master it. Don't let your flesh drag you down in the wrong direction. Learn to master your flesh. Look, look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He wrote, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. In other words, don't just do what your flesh tells you to do. And relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, learn to tell your flesh what to do. I'm not talking about in some weird mystical way, you know, like those, the, those gurus who can, can try and live only breathing once every couple minutes. I'm not talking about that weird stuff. I'm just saying, learn to not let your flesh tell you what you do, but let the truth of God's word tell you what to do. And, and, uh, and our bodies lie to us, don't they? Our bodies, oh, this will make you happy. And it doesn't. You know, and, and well, oh, this person, that, you know, that, no. What does the Bible say? And be guided by God's word instead of guided by our flesh. Amen? And, and, and so I would encourage you uh, to do that as well. Um, so what about you? Three simple questions and then we'll have an, our invitation. Number one, what influences are you allowing in your life that are keeping you from moving forward in your relationship with God? Are you following Satan, the world, your flesh? Number two, do you subconsciously feel like you're getting away with sin? Do you subconsciously feel like you're getting away with sin? Because if not, I hope this changes today. I hope this changes today. I'll share one one more quick example. When I was in seminary, 
we had to dress like this for classes, right? We had to have a tie and, and so on. Couldn't wear jeans. And then in the evening courses, they made an exception to the rule. And they said, if you're coming straight from work, you don't have to wear a tie. And, uh, and I hated ties. I still hate them. You know, I, I always say, one day I'm going to have words with the man who invented ties. But the more I think about it, I don't think he's going to be there. <laughs> it's, it's a joke. Nah, but I don't mind them so much now. But, but studying. And so I, I remember I showed up to class and several of the guys in class didn't have ties on because they came from work. And I had Hebrew class on a night that I didn't work. And, and so I remember the first time I went to class without a tie and I'm thinking, boy, I hope I don't get caught. I mean, this is... I mean, the rule book does say, and I felt a little bit tormented in my own soul. And you know what they, you know what they did to me when I showed up to, to school, you know, to, to class without a tie? Absolutely nothing. So I went back next time without a tie. I didn't feel quite as bad. And I went back again and again and again. And to, I, just, I just didn't wear ties. I mean, no one, no one was wearing ties because they were all coming straight from work. And then I remember the day that the dean called me into his office, Dave, I want to talk to you. And in my mind, the last thing, I, because I had already convinced myself I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And he confronted me on it. And I'll tell you, it was the Holy Spirit that tormented my soul at that moment. Now, to this day, I don't think it's important to wear a tie if you're studying Hebrew, right? It's just a man-made rule. But it is important that I follow the rules of people, even the people, if I disagree with the rules. Because if you only obey when you agree with the rules... That's not submission, right? But when you submit, when you disagree with the rules, that's, that's a character trait that God wants us to develop. And it broke my heart. I repented that day. And God's delivered me. See, here I'm wearing a tie. No, this is a joke. <laughs> Sorry, I get, I, uh, get into all that. But, but you see, do you subconsciously feel like you're getting away with sin? Because there's going to be freedom when you, when you admit that sin is sin. And I'm going to give you an opportunity if there's something in your mind where you say, you know what, God, I know this is sin. I've been guilty of this. I need to come and repent. Give me an opportunity. Come up, repent. It's between you and God. We won't ask you about it. It's between you and God. Number three, if Jesus were to walk in right now, what behaviors would make you blush if he exposed them? Think about that. Because that might help us answer number two a little bit better. Since that, well, we don't think, we don't feel too bad about him. But what if Jesus were to come in right now and say, this is a habit that so-and-so has. This is a habit that so-and-so has. It's a, this is a habit because he could expose all of those things. What are the, the behaviors in life that you are allowing right now that you'd have to say, I would be embarrassed for people to know because maybe those are the things that you need to be up here repenting of today. Yes, this is a, today this is a call to repentance. It's a call to get right with the Lord because I'm telling you, I know that as people, we have three dangerous enemies out there, and we are following them in different areas of our lives. We're following the devil. We're following Satan. We're following for his schemes. Or we're following for the world and the direction that the world is going. Or we're following our own flesh. And we need to repent and get that right with God right now. So that we can walk out of here with deliverance, freedom. Say, oh, but the, the allurements of the world can be fun. They're fun for a season. But they only bring destruction to your life. I'll tell you what God has is so much better. I'm going to invite you to come and receive that. 
And you can do that right from your seat if you'd like to. But I would encourage you to come forward if, if the Lord's working in your heart because there's something to be said about making a decision and acting on it in a public way first. You know, if, when you, if you decide, well, I'm going to think about that when I go home, oftentimes that never happens. So I would encourage you, if the Lord's working in your heart, to come forward um, and, and just do business with God as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you again for your word. I thank you that it steps on our toes. And Lord, I know as I've been studying this all week, I've seen areas in my life that, where I'm allowing the wrong, the wrong sources of influence in my own life. And Lord, I pray that as you've worked in me this week, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit right now and that you would work in the hearts of people in this congregation right here, right now. And I pray this in Christ's name.